Hi everyone, I want to thank you so much for tuning in to another Bible study here at uh, One Love Live here at Love Walk. I pray you are doing well and God is blessing in your life. I want to uh, encourage you to keep reading your Bible, keep growing in the Word so that you can mature, so that you can do wonderful things for the Lord. Um, and as you know, we come together to study in the Word of God, not just to read, but to study in the Word of God so that we can apply the Word of God in our lives and also so that we can accomplish the purpose of our lives. And we know that we're put on this earth for God's purpose. Our purpose is in God's purpose. And so in order to accomplish that, we need to have an instruction manual, know what it means, and know how we operate in it. And I want to talk to you about something that I think is really quite important in terms of what we do for God or what we feel we do for God um, or what you know we feel we need to do. And this is really very important. It's important because if we live in such a way that you know we are you know sort of uh, you know, doing these things that we believe, you know, will make, uh, look good. Let's just put it that way. That looks good, but not really is reflective of what's going on inside of us. Sometimes we'll miss what it is that we are supposed to do, the true meaning behind that. And that really is the idea behind your purpose is that you're accomplishing something great. So we're going to look at Ezra chapter three, verse three, and it's a very short verse, but I want us to read it because it says something really Really key. I've read this verse before when I was doing this study. I've read this verse before, but um, it, this never really jumped out to me the way it did right now. And it really made me think about purpose. It really made me think about our service, what we feel is our service to God. Um, and we'll have a conversation about that. Um, but I want you to start thinking about what it really means. And so let's read Ezra chapter 3, verse 3. It says, And they set the altar upon his bases, for fear was upon them because of the people of those countries. And they offered burnt offerings thereon unto the Lord, even burnt offerings morning and evening. So this is showing a picture and just to give you some you know context behind this verse we're looking at the children of israel or we're looking at the nation of israel really coming back to worship with god after a prolonged period away from temple worship from doing the things that god wanted them to do and unfortunately in this return which is you know it's good that they're coming back that they're doing these things it says in this verse that they did these things. They set the altar upon its bases for fear was upon them because of the people of those countries. So it tells us what they did and it also tells us the impetus behind that. And that's where I want us to be right now. That's where I want us to grab it. You know, where are we at right now? Do you serve God because you love him or because you fear the people? Okay, I want to ask you that question. Okay, these are really important things to understand because, you know, why we do what we do matters in the kingdom of heaven. Maybe it doesn't matter in, you know, some other kind of religion um, where you do things rote. You do things because it says it in this book. It says it right here. Or, you know, you're supposed to, you know, do this three times and, and then you have to bring this five times. And the reason people do those kinds of things is because it's what they're 
their holy book tells them to do. They do it out of a sense of duty, not out of sense a sense of service and love toward God. And so that is what God is wanting us to do is to get to that. Okay. You know, we forget sometimes to be introspective about our own actions. And it's important every once in a while to take inventory. If you don't do it, um, I don't really know <laughs> how, how you're going to live, you know, a really quality life. This is necessary whether you're a believer or not. I truly believe you need periodically to take a moment of introspection into your own life and really think about, hmm, what's going on? Why am I doing this? Why am I engaged in this? Why am I part of this group? Why do I know these people? You know, why do I want to get to know these people? Why am I here? You know, you have to have some introspection because remember, if life is going to be about purpose, purpose is the motive. Purpose is the motive. And so if you're not introspective about the things that you're doing, then your purpose won't matter because your purpose, your love for God should be informing what it is that you do. Okay. And so this is not just a pop psychology type of thing where we're going to stop and think about something. It's, it's specifically us trying to, you know, dig deeper into our own soul. You know, do you remember that scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 31, that says, if you, if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. Think about that. Ooh, that's really like a powerful word right there. You know, because people have all these things about don't judge, don't judge this. The Bible tells you judge. And he especially tells you to judge yourself. And in order to judge yourself, it takes a bit of introspection. In order to judge yourself, you've got to think about the things that you're doing and why you're doing them. And so God wants us to examine our motives because he knows that the clearer our motives are, that purpose, remember, part of what we do is to accomplish purpose and purpose is motive. Understand that. We could just swap out the word motive and use purpose. You see, the clearer our motives are, the reason for doing it, we are the closer that we draw to him and his will for our lives. See, when you learn your purpose, now you can do what you were born for. Now you can be the person that you are. Because the more you learn your purpose, the more you understand your different little idiosyncrasies, why you're tall, why you're short, why you're fat, why you're uh, so intelligent, why you're verbose, why you, you know, like this or that, your whole purpose, because God created you with purpose. And so that is why taking these moments of introspection are absolutely critical for purpose, for his will. And so that is why I want to encourage you that you have to really stop and think about your motives. When you act to please people, you're really acting to please yourself or the perceived view that you like for others to have about you. And so even though we understand that we're trying, sometimes, you know, you might fall into people pleasing or some people struggle with that. What they're really struggling struggling with is a kind of pride of wanting to be thought of in a certain way. And there's nothing wrong with wanting to be thought of fondly. I think that's okay. I think we're humans. And I think we are supposed to have that desire. But I think when it goes a step beyond that to where we're doing things, for people to be pleased 
that's when it changes. And that's also something that can skew our purpose when we're doing things for people rather than for the reason for God. It might make us lean in one direction or another more or less because we're more interested in pleasing others than doing what matters to God. So I really want you to really think about what it is that you're doing. And so when we look at this scripture in Ezra chapter 3 verse 3, while these um, believers aren't necessarily, these the, the Israelites aren't necessarily trying to please the people around them, they're doing it because they're kind of afraid. Like they feel like, you know what, we better follow God or else these people might, you know, do something nasty to us. So we're going to walk a straight line. And, you know, that in a way is logical. I can get that, but it's not necessarily springing from an authentic place of love toward God. And I'm going to show you why that's really important. Because when you act only for self-preservation, the behavior lasts only as long as the danger is present. And that's just a fact. This is why God doesn't force us to become believers. Belief in and of itself is an act of the will. That's why you're called a believer. That's why it's called belief. Even in the Bible, when you look back at faith or back in the Old Testament, when they called it trust, it's about you believing. It's an act of the will. And so if you're acting just for self-preservation, it means that you're not acting, you know, based on something that's truly coming from who you are. You're acting to preserve yourself, to get yourself out of danger. There are plenty of things that we do in dangerous situations that we would never do in ordinary ones. You know, people have jumped down flights of stairs, you know, and done all kinds of things, um, daring feats that they would never do on a day-to-day basis, but they do it because in that instance, they needed to do it to survive. And so if you're acting from a sense of fear, you're acting from a sense of pleasing others, what you're doing isn't really authentic. See, behavior that seeks to placate others, whether that's fear or pleasing, are short-lived because they are not demonstrations of changed character. They're not a demonstration of your character, nor are they based on an entrenched belief system. They are predicated on mitigating risk and as such only last as long as the risk is present. Whole relationships are actually based on arm twisting, which means they're not true relationships at all. If you were in a building and there was some kind of, you know, alarm that went off and you were horrified and you started running and you had to jump down a flight of stairs, you didn't jump down that flight of stairs because you ultimately believe that's the best way to get down a flight of stairs in your everyday life when you're coming from work or you know, going to an office, you're not jumping down flights of stairs to get to the bottom. You don't do that because it's not, you're, it's not a, a position that you believe is tenable or even makes sense, but you might do it in a situation of high stress when maybe there's a, you know, uh, some sort of crisis going on. So I think it's important to understand why we do what we do and really analyze it in such a way that we are being true to God's will and to the purpose that is in our lives, okay? And not just on self-preservation. So God requires voluntary effort. The Bible says we love God because he first loved us. I want you to see the demonstration of voluntariness, the, the, the voluntary, the will-based 
way in which we as believers live. This isn't a thing where someone has a gun to your head and says, if you don't love me, I'm going to kill you. Like that makes no sense. Even people who try to force others into such things, it just doesn't make sense because of course the person is going to say, yes, I love you. They're trying to mitigate danger. They're not acting out of a true will. You see, we have no other reason as supplied by the Bible other than that he loves us. And this is actually a good thing because if we loved him for other reasons, our love would be conditional and predicated on what he could give. That is the thing. And a lot of times, you know, humans make these kind of flawed logic arguments as well in their own lives, in their own relationships with people and friends and, uh, you know, marital partners. You know, marriage presents a real picture to us about our relationship with Christ. And the Bible has used that many, many times. And we can see and use the marriage relationship to reflect on our own relationship with Christ. So in looking at mankind, creating this sort of relationship mirroring, you know, we start seeing the reasoning and the motivation for marriage that God wants. We can learn from it what not to do. A lot of times people are doing what you should absolutely not do. They encourage their daughters to marry based on wealth and material gain and then wonder why they're so unhappy in marriage. And some men, you know, um, they marry for visual or physical appeal and they brandish their wealth and then they wonder why they've married someone who hates them and is only good for sex or only wants their money. The truth is you and your parents or your social system or your value system actually chose that lousy marriage. It's the truth. You actually chose that living hell for yourself. And that is what we do because we're acting not based on things that are authentic within us. If you chose authentically from what is authentically inside of you, then you might have a different result because purpose is in play. When your purpose is seen and you understand it and you're acting from God's will in your purpose, then you're going to make certain different choices. If a person's internal character is not corrected, then their good behavior will only be temporary. And so Israel is a perfect example of this. It was a lousy marriage that God endured. Lousy. Because these people were just, they were just without any kind of depth without any kind of character toward him. The Bible says that for 40 years, the children of Israel tested the Lord and with them not even believing his sincerity. Imagine being married to someone like that, who's ungrateful, a spouse that needs you to prove your love through gifts and favors daily. What a pain. God put up with Israel, but he wanted us to learn from them. He wants us to learn about authenticity, about the internal character of what it means when we're following the Lord truly from the heart. That's why he says he circumcised our heart. He also made sure that they didn't enter his rest. And this is a very key point. And one of the apostles actually revisited this concept in Hebrews chapter 4 verse 3. And it shows how that he said, you will not enter my rest. It shows that God knows our motives. But the question is, do we, are we taking the time, like it says in 1 Corinthians eleven thirty one, 31, to judge ourselves? 
You see, if you judge yourself, God doesn't have to do it. He doesn't have to correct. I mean, you can course correct. I mean, I think that's really so awesome. You know, we can make changes and corrections in our life, but it takes examining those motives so that we're lined up with purpose. The Bible says, judge yourself that you will not be judged. This means that as believers, think about this, this is really key, as believers, we can course correct through the power of God. You can do it. Yeah, you can do it because you have the power of God to do it. So let's look at that. In in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, 31, it says, for if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. In context, this is actually speaking of believers who take communion unworthy. These are people that having not faced up to and repented of sin before partaking. So God is saying there are real consequences to inauthenticity. People are pressured to take communion when they know that there's an area they are in rebellion in um, or they need some sort of help. It isn't that you won't sin. This is really the key part you need to understand. We all are going to sin. We all are going to make mistakes. But it is to have the humility and the faith to confess it truly to God as you seek to change your will concerning it. Only you can change your will, my friend, not God. Remember when uh, Christ, Jesus Christ was in the Garden of Gethsemane? He had to pray, not my will, but thy will be done. He had to submit his will to God's. And that is what we do. And when we learn and practice God's word, and when we walk toward the purpose that he has for us, it is in learning to submit. And that is what it means. If you're going to take communion, don't take it unworthily. It doesn't mean that, you know, we, you might leave there, leave communion and, you know, I don't know, curse somebody uh, out. You will have to ask for forgiveness, but it's, you know, sometimes you might have a sin, a besetting sin that you need to pray about, that you need to say, Lord, I'm working on it. I'm, I need, I'm trying to change my will on it. And that is what God is asking us to do. He's not asking us to be perfect people. He's asking us to be mature. Okay. When we act for the accolades of people, okay, or their approval or even the fear of them, and we are being inauthentic, okay? Regardless of what it may be, it forces us to act in ways that reflect the society and not our gods. And just to go back to communion, you know, how many times have you been in a service and, you know, you knew maybe you were struggling with something or you just totally, you know, said something to someone and you haven't repented, you haven't really tried to work through it. And you just thought, oh my God, if I don't get up and take this communion, everybody's going to know there's something going on with me. <laughs> well, you, that, that's pride. That's you saying, I'm not being authentic. If I'm authentic, then I'm going to sit here and wait. I'm going to take my time. I'm going to pray and get right. But we're often pressured. We don't want people to think that. So we get up and go take it unworthily. And this is what God is talking about. He wants you to fulfill a beautiful purpose. And the only way to do that is when we chase God and chase the authenticity of being his child. Okay. And I'm going to tell you something, you know, in a wicked you know, that, that God values authenticity and that in a wicked generation and in a broken society, 
it's going to test your authenticity, that authenticity toward God. We see this multiple places in the Bible. And I'm just going to point out a few. Do you remember Moses refused to live among the corrupt Egyptians of that time? Or Mordecai, he refused to bow. And he was even more faithful to the king than even the king's right-hand man, Haman. Or Daniel in the lion's den. Or even Joseph, who had to flee from the advances of his master's wife. And Lot and his family, how they got out of, you know, Sodom and Gomorrah. Or even the three Hebrew brothers that were thrown into the fiery furnace. There was a test of character, a test of authenticity. Character is tested. The authenticity of your faith is tested in these moments, in society, in the generation that you live in, if it's a wicked generation, to be right to keep following that purpose that God has for you. And you can tell how truly someone stands by his or her character and values by what they practice, what they practice, not what they do occasionally here and there. And this is how you can see whether others are authentic. If someone will do it to someone else out of their own will, unprovoked, then you can be assured they will do it to you. It's an apps, I promise you. That's what I've learned in life. If they lie, they're going to lie to you. This is why the Bible tells us that there is no honor among thieves. Think about that. If someone will steal something from someone else, they don't have any honor toward anyone. Plenty of people are horrified to learn that the same spy has turned on them. The nasty man has become nasty to them. And the person they allied with has allied against them. That's because character is the most solid evidence of who someone truly is. It's through practice that they have become that. And it becomes a pattern in their life or a habit. It's how you can know who they are. How can you know a snake? How can you know uh, a rabbit? Or it's the things that they practice. The old adage is that a dog that will bring a bone will take one. I know you've heard that before. What that means is, and my mom used to say this all the time, as a warning, she'd be like, watch out, the dog that'll take a bone will bring one. I mean, dog that'll bring a bone will take one. And what that meaning is, is that a gossip who brings That titillating news will also take news about you to someone else. And that's because a dog, in that adage, a dog steals in bones. It takes bones. It buries bones. That's what it does. So it's not doing this because you're special or because, no, it's doing that because that is its nature. That is what it practices. We can see this in other places. The whoremonger. I know we don't say that word, but please bear with me, the whoremonger. If you break that word down, there's the word whore, and then there's the word monger. Monger in that sense means someone who deals in something, like a fishmonger or a warmonger. It's someone who deals in it. They are skillful in it. And so when you see someone who is a womanizer or, you know, a lady who does that, it means they deal in whores or they deal in that lifestyle. And just as whores deal in whoremongers, these are not behaviors that change overnight. 
If anyone tells you that, oh, you know, I was a womanizer until you came along, <laughs> you know, she was for the streets until she met him. <laughs> no, that's not real. <laughs> the truth is character is built over time. And the only way character is built in the correct direction in terms of the will of God and the purpose of God is over time. That's why we have to renew our mind. That's why we are told and encouraged not to conform to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind. It takes time. That's why we go through some very, you know, difficult things so that we can be changed in our character, so that we can demonstrate the authenticity of our faith. Do you really believe what it is you say you believe? God trains us to adhere to his word through the things we suffer also as we see with Christ. It says he learned obedience through the things he suffered. And you can read that in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 8 to 14. If you think I'm just making it up, read it. It says it right there, Hebrews chapter 5, verse 8 to 14. That's the only way you learn obedience to God's will. When pressure comes, people will either bend toward God or away from him. And that's how you know the believer. He will either bend toward God And if he's not, he'll start bending the other way. I want to encourage you today. I want to encourage you to start considering yourself. Take some moments of introspection to make sure you're on the path to producing the purpose that God has for you in your life. In Psalms chapter 138, verse 8, please find Psalms chapter 138, verse 8. It says it like this, the Lord will perfect that which concerns me. Thy mercy, O Lord, endures forever. Forsake not the work of thine own hands. So I want to encourage you in those times when your character comes under pressure to do one thing or the other, I just want to encourage you to bend toward the God that will perfect that which concerns you and I. Thank you so much. May God bless you. Bye.